Get Up Nation. I hope you're enjoying the Get Up Nation podcast on www.anchor.fm. As a podcast host on over 20 platforms, I really enjoy how easy it is to use Anchor, how Anchor makes everything I need available in one place for free, accessible on your smartphone or desktop computer. Go to www.anchor.fm now. In case you didn't know, Anchor has creation tools that allow you to record and edit each episode. If you're concerned about the distribution of your hard work, don't sweat it because Anchor takes care of that too. If you're considering becoming a podcaster, I would highly recommend Anchor as your choice to begin sharing your content with the world. What up, Get Up Nation? My name is Ben Binnick, the host of the Get Up Nation podcast and co-author of Get Up, The Art of Perseverance with former Major League Baseball player and CEO of Lurong Living, Adam Greenberg. Recently, I had the honor and privilege of speaking with Charles Hunt. As a child, Charles experienced some of the most traumatic events children can experience and now empowers others to face their adversity with his approaches and insights. Charles is a resilience expert and professor and speaker. He often speaks about how resilience is a critical component of happiness, success, and overcoming obstacles. He's the founder of The Audacity Firm, an organization of people who pride themselves on delivering results and being a solution, building unbreakable spirits, and developing growth and resilience for their clients. Charles is a phenomenal example of resilience as he details in his legendary TED Talk called What Trauma Taught Me About Resilience. I'm honored he's taken time out of his schedule to join me on the Get Up Nation podcast. Charles, thank you and welcome. My pleasure. Thank you for having me and a very warm welcome. I'm so inspired by you and what you have done with your life. I spent so much time thinking about these questions and how we can share your life best with Get Up Nation to help Get Up Nation understand how you developed your expertise in resilience. If my research is correct, you grew up in Oakland, California in the 1980s where there was 20% unemployment systemic housing discrimination and segregation, education inequities, and high poverty rates and murder rates. The crack epidemic and the war on drugs were in full force at the time as well. Will you describe some of your experiences as a small child growing up in that environment? Yeah, and it certainly wasn't always pleasant. Fortunately, my mother, who you know herself had to navigate those things you describe as a young black woman, she developed a drug addiction. And so, you know, I spent pretty much all of my formative years in either housing projects or moved in and lived with my grandmother once I was like eight years old, I believe, eight or nine years old. My grandmother raised me and my sister until middle of my senior year of high school, and I've been on my own ever since. Prior to moving to my, to my grandmother, which offered at least a little bit more stability, I lived in housing projects that were you know, very much downtrodden, uh, a lot of crime, as you mentioned, war on drugs, that had taken full effect by that time, the mid-80s, and you know, I lived in a drug house at one point, seen someone come through our project apartment shoot guns at someone, and you know, someone jumping out of a window to try to escape. I just saw the unfortunate things that comes along with being impoverished, as well as being in places where opportunity are not abound, and you mix in drugs and crime, and it's you know, it's kind of a, a bit of a unhealthy environment for for anyone to to be in, let alone a, a child. Absolutely, and that's some of what we've been focusing on lately on adverse experiences during childhood. Here, as a child, you directly witnessed a person you had known who had overdosed. Will you share 
what you experienced the first time you heard the word incarceration. My dad sent me a letter in the mail, and I still remember my mom pulling me to the side and, you know, kind of sitting me down and reading it to me. And in it, he let me know that he was incarcerated and that, you know, that meant he was in jail. And so, you know, a conversation my mom uh, ensued. But, you know, prior to that time, at, what, seven, eight years old, I didn't know what that word was or meant. And, you know, unfortunately, I learned about it in a very personal and somewhat painful way. By this point, I'd been living with my grandmother. I remember her getting a call, and she is the one who broke the information to me. I, I don't know how you can describe it for a child. Like, I, I'll always have such a soft spot for children who lose parents. Having, you know, having gone through that struggle, it's really, really difficult to, uh, to put into words. That was the first death that I had experienced, being old enough to process what that means. And to lose someone so close and so dear to you, it was you know, truly an excruciating pain. And I don't know if you ever really heal hmm. from it or get over it. You know, it gets less painful, but you know, it's been some 30 plus years and I still feel that. So your father died, he was jumped in a prison fight Correct? With Correct. Your mother, as she was uh, dealing with addiction challenges, then she spent some time incarcerated. So for you to go back, knowing that your father had died uh, within that place of incarceration, and then to see your mother there, I can't imagine what that experience was for a child. The fear of wondering what would happen to her. You've talked about the, the hazy plexiglass that separated you from her. Yeah. yeah I, I, if anyone's ever you know, visited someone in prison, not all visits um, and all facilities are set up to be able to have, you know, either physical touch or just be able to not be uh, separated by some barrier. And at the time, you know, visits would uh, be through a partition, through a glass. And yeah, it's you know, it's a bit of a re-traumatization to not only go in and see your mom uh, or your parent incarcerated, but knowing that harm has befell somebody that you love. In that same circumstance, you can't help but equate the two or draw some parallels, whether, you know, right or wrong. So, yeah, it was a difficult time. And even when my mom, she didn't spend a lot of time in prison, but just dealing with any family that's had to deal with addiction knows how volatile that situation can be. Arguments and, you know, family blow-ups and, you know, all of those sorts of things, they continually add to the levels of trauma that any family member present would experience. And I think for a child, it's probably that much more sensitive and traumatizing. When we talk about adverse childhood experiences, it can lead to social-emotional cognitive impairment, adopting health risk behaviors, disease, disability, and, and social problems. As you were experiencing these things as a child, you described how you started to develop some symptoms of depression. Yes, absolutely. And, and Absolutely. And then, so from going from there, as you're experiencing this, I'd like to kind of get into mindset. Despite being truly disadvantaged as a child, you created a foundation for resilience in your life by utilizing the power of your mind. You were the first to graduate college earning bachelor's and master's degree in business, spent years in the corporate sector before creating the Audacity Firm, explored dozens of countries and inspire audience and clients with the reality that the worst of life could not take the best out of you. You've also said the question to ask about developing resilience is not how, but why. Why do you and others who suffer extreme trauma in life succeed and flourish? Well, I can certainly say for myself, 
and positive for others, that a lot of it is around maintaining hope and employing resilience. I started to look back on my own journey, kind of my own from here to their story, uh, or from there to here story. The fact that I never gave up hope, despite all of the really terrible things that I had experienced, and the fact that I employed resilience through the various obstacles that I had, those became really the two critical characteristics that allowed me to be successful on that path. And that's since become, you know, kind of my mission to be able to help other people who may be experiencing adversity, as we all will, to tap into that inner resilience and to build that resilience because it is a, a, a skill that can be developed so that they can successfully navigate whatever it is that life throws at us because, quite frankly, we all hope for a better thing, right? We, we all hope for a better day, a better life, better things, but we run up against opposition, those failures, those setbacks. But all the things that we hope for, they're somehow obstructed by a different or a changed reality. So, you know, just as strong as the hope that we carry for the better day is the resilience that we must employ every day, right? So, you know, while hope is what keeps our eyes fastened to a better future, resilience is what keeps us on the right track towards it. You've described how resilience is the ability to adapt to negative change and recover from it as quickly as possible. In order to do this, we, we must understand our beliefs, feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. Will you share your process of clinging to the belief that tomorrow would be better than today and your refusal to sacrifice your future for the pain of today? I mentioned on my talk, sometimes having what I termed an irrational hope. Hmm. Right, And so it's like someone objectively could look at a situation and say, you know, this looks pretty bleak. This looks pretty painful or dire, right? Growing up, lived in drug-infested neighborhoods. I lived in a drug house at one point. My mom is an addict and now staying with my grandmother. And my father has been murdered. I'm poor. There, there were so many things that easily could have um, turned my disposition um, in a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. But I'm fortunate that even amongst all of that stuff, and you know, and much more, that I still believe that life would get better. I still believe that, it, one, it could be worse, that it will be better, and that I don't know exactly how, but you know, I have the capability to make it better. And it's not necessarily a immediate thing or an immediate thing is not necessarily going to happen right away, but better days are going to come. And I think because of that, it allowed me to continue to make decisions that actually worked in my best interest as opposed to against my best interest. That just speaks to the name of your company. I love the name of your company. It's the audacity of believing that regardless of everything that you've been through, you are going to make a brighter future for yourself and that you are going to cling to that hope and you're going to create a reality that's that's much different from the things where you were suffering and you're going to make a life that is brilliant and beautiful and inspires other. I love that. It just plays right into that audacity term. Quick shout to my fourth and fifth grade teacher hmm. um, for the inspiration. 
So Miss Goodwin, um, whenever we would, you know, either act up or do something unseemly, her phrase was the audacity of you. Hmm. Right, like the unmitigated gall of you to be disruptive, huh. you know, while other people were trying to learn or while she's trying to teach or impart wisdom or whatever. Right. Um, and it was just, it was a, a word and a, a phrase that had such richness to it that it always stuck with me. Hmm. And so once I finally struck out on my own, um, there really wasn't another consideration. There wasn't another name that I was thinking of. It was always the audacity firm, right? It's the audacity of me to have survived what I've been through and to have attained the level of success that I have thus far. And then it's also prescriptive for others, like the audacity of you to overcome whatever setbacks that you have in front of you Mm. on the path towards the richness that life has in store for you. Amazing. I love that. You've also described how at times the mind, which is so powerful in helping us, can also deliver messages that can do the opposite. Will you share the importance of perspective and positivity to helping ensure our minds remain a tool for growth and empowerment? Yeah, I'm a firm believer that resilience ultimately starts in our minds. It's the subtle messages that we tell ourselves about what's going on, what's happening to us, and specifically in the moment. And those messages, they have implications and or consequences. If we tell ourselves a situation is hopeless, we stop fighting, right? So now we become really accepting or almost victims of whatever fate is going to deal at us. And so I'm a firm believer that we're as resilient as we think we are. So no matter what it is that we endure or experience, no matter how painful, if we can harness our minds and the messages that we're giving to ourselves about what's happening to us and what the appropriate response is, we'll have much greater resilience because those thoughts are going to influence not only what we perceive about the situation that we're facing, but also what the responses are. And those responses are going to lead us to our results. Like you said before, change is certain in life. How important is it to not only have a healthy mind, but also to have partnerships that we draw from in order to sustain perseverance? See, partnership is so critical in resilience because oftentimes we end up telling ourselves things that we don't need to hear. Having the appropriate partnership can short-circuit that, right? Having the right people around you, the right relationships around you, can help correct when your own thought processes, your own resilience is off. And that partnership can come in the form of professionals, whether that's you know licensed therapists or medical professionals. It can come in the form of uh, opening up to your friends, your trusted advisors, your family, wh- whomever it is, but someone or someones who can serve as what I like to call that emotional safety net hmm. when we're in a free fall. Right, Because at times, we are going to give ourselves some inappropriate messages. We're going to tell ourselves some inappropriate things. And it's imperative, like really, really critical to stay connected to other people who can help give us a more realistic view of what's happening when our own view is distorted. I love your message where you draw a distinction between acknowledging that you've been exploited or a victim but refusing to own being a victim. 
instead possessing power, transitioning from a focus on the past to the present moment, and how that gives people the ability to overcome challenges. Will you expand on that a little bit of how destructive or dangerous it is to allow our minds to take on a victim mentality? Yeah, so for myself, I acknowledge through all the hardships that I've been through that I was a victim, right? So as a youth, to lose my dad, to deal with addiction, to be impoverished, to have the injuries that I had, things that were through no fault of my own, right? They weren't decisions that I made right. that led to these outcomes. Right. That, you know, for whatever reason, I was a victim of those circumstances. I was, past tense. Mm -hmm. The moment that I emerged from that situation, it's history. It's past tense. So I am presently not a victim. I've moved on. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't effects, that there aren't impacts or residue from what happened to me. And I can own that. But in present tense, I am not currently a victim. And I think that there's so much richness and power in that difference between was and is. Absolutely. Right? Yes. And is, in the present tense, that means that I now have power. Right. So I can take whatever it was that did victimize me, whatever it was that did happen to me, and now I can choose to do something with that. I can now chart the path forward despite this ugliness that victimized me. Hmm. Right? And that's a choice. That, and there's power in being able to make a choice. There's power in being able to make that decision for myself. So I think that for all of us, it's important that we recognize and acknowledge the really, really painful things that hurt us. We're human, right? There are certain things that we shouldn't experience, that we shouldn't necessarily go through, or when we do, they are really, really painful, whether that's loss. And loss takes, you know, multiple, multiple forms. Death, you got loss of good health, loss of jobs, loss of esteem. There are a lot of things that we may find ourselves without, but it's how do we then take those things that victimized us and recapture our power so that those things that did victimize us don't become the things that burden us going forward. You close your TED Talk with what I find to be a powerful statement. You thank the audience for giving your trauma a purpose. Will you share why you said that and why you created the Audacity Firm? at the end of the TED, you know, I was trying to figure out as I was putting that talk together, like, who is my audience? Who exactly am I talking to? And in the process, I realized that, you know, I'm ultimately talking to myself in the various stages of my growth or development where I had to employ resilience. So my adolescent self as a kid, my college self as I'm getting into my young adult years, and even as a professional as well. And in doing so, I'm giving license to what I experience. And not only that, I'm now turning it around and I'm helping other people who may have or may be in those various phases, right? So there are other kids who may identify with it. There are other young adults who may identify with something. There are other professionals who may identify with something. And so for me, being able to take the muck of all the things that I've experienced 
and now use that in service of helping somebody else. It gives everything that I went through a purpose. See, I didn't just experience it because it was just bad luck for me. Right. I didn't experience it just because hey, things happen. Right. Right? right. No, I experienced it specifically so I could help someone else. And I've been, I use the term kind of jokingly, but almost arrogant enough to believe that there is someone or someones that I am purpose to reach. Hmm. That there's someone or someones who's supposed to hear my message and be encouraged hmm. and keep fighting, keep going, and accomplish some magnificent things. And then they're going to go and touch someone else, right? And it continues in a cycle. And so I've been fortunate that having awareness of purpose, not just in what I've experienced, right? There's a reason for the things that I've experienced and I've gone through, but that I myself am purposed to go and help other individuals gives all of the pain, all the trauma, a different meaning for me. It's not just a woe is me, oh, life sucks, or, right. you know, things happen. It's that, no, there's somebody who's supposed to be inspired, be motivated, be encouraged by you overcoming these things. You giving them a message to continue on for themselves. An audaciously brilliant idea. I love the fight in you that says... This is not all for nothing. I didn't suffer for nothing. This is for myself. This is for others. There's a broader lesson, too, for all of us, and that the most resilient among us will find a purpose in what it is that they face, right? So maybe your purpose isn't necessarily to get on a stage or give a talk or to write a book or what have you, but whatever adversity it is that you face, the quicker that you can find what the purpose is in it, the more resilient you will be. Right, You'll find some reason and explanation as to why that thing happened and then put it into service for something or someone, Right, whether it's for yourself, whether it's for other people. That's how that resilience is built. And without that, it becomes easier to drop into this woe is me. Right. Right? Like I am a victim. This thing happens to me. It always happens to me. I always have bad luck and things of that sort. No, the most resilient will find whatever adversity that they find themselves in, sit through it and figure out, all right, well, what's the lesson here? What's the reason why I'm here? If someone is looking to develop individual or organizational resilience, how can you and the Audacity Firm help? Certainly, uh, I can go to my website, www.audacityfirm.com. We offer speaking, training, and individual coaching sessions. One of my big mantras is an organization is only as resilient as the people who run it. So building organizational resilience means you have to have individuals who are resilient as well. So our focus is on building the individuals to be more resilient so that they can then take that into their organizations. Charles, I always end the show with six quick questions to help my listeners understand the why within my phenomenal guests. Are you willing to run through these six quick questions with me? Let's do it. All right. Who are you thankful for today? Who am I thankful for? Uh, oh, that's a good question. I am thankful for my grandmother. I appreciate that even after she had raised her children, that she took myself and my sister in and raised us, or raised me, you know, for another nine years until I was ready to get out on my own. It wasn't always easy for either of us. But I am so exceptionally grateful that she stepped up into the breach so that 
myself and my sister didn't have to end up in foster care or other type of government care. So I'm exceptionally grateful and thankful to my grandmother. Amazing. Now that we've covered who you're thankful for today, what are you thankful for today? What am I thankful for? I'm thankful for the life that I have and the fact that I'm blessed despite the hardships, despite how it started. I mean, it's not like it's a bed of roses all the time now, but life has been terrible, but life is good if you make it so. So I'm, I'm thankful for life. How do you fuel the fire within you? Trying to remind myself of what my purpose is. I had a pastor who had preached a sermon some years ago, and one of the illustrations he used was that the cemetery is filled with unused potential. And what he meant by that, there are a lot of people who've died who didn't reach their full potential. And unfortunately, that potential went to, to the grave with them. And the admonishing was to don't be one of those people, right? And so... When I start to feel either slothful or try to motivate myself, I often remind myself of that very thing, like to not die without using that full potential and don't die holding the message that somebody was supposed to receive. What is one thing that adversity taught you to value? Time and people. I, I didn't know that I was only going to have 10 years with my dad, right? And, you know, it's probably at the top of my regretless of not spending every moment that I could with him, right? You know, there were times where he'd ask me if I wanted to go and do X or Y, you know, go to the park, go to movies, whatever. And, you know, I'm playing with my childhood friends, right? So I was like, nah, dad, you know, let's, let's do it another time or whatever. And so, you know, I look back on those times and I do, you know, harbor some smidge of regret. Now, you know, I also recognize that, look, you're a kid. Right. You don't know that you only have this short amount of time. But from that, I do recognize the value of time and knowing that people who are in your life are not guaranteed to be there forever. What are you doing today you never thought you could? That's an easy one. Being an entrepreneur. And it's interesting because you know, my undergraduate degree was in business administration. I had two emphasis, purchasing and materials management and doing small business ventures. So I actually wanted to be an entrepreneur or you know, small business owner in college. I just never thought that it would happen for some reason. And a part of that is because I built my entire life around security and stability, building the security and stability that I didn't have as a child. And so for me, that was having a corporate career. And I had a corporate career for about 18 years. But now being a business owner um, and, you know, and an entrepreneur, I tell people all the time, I feel like I've traded security for freedom. And when I was in corporate America, you get security through knowing every two weeks you got a paycheck coming and you got health benefits and stuff that comes along with that. But you don't necessarily own your time, right? Because you got to give 40, 50, 60 hours a week for that job in order to get that security. Well, now being an entrepreneur, it's actually flipped on its head, right? So I don't have the same security, right? If I don't generate new business, new clients, then if I don't kill it, I don't eat. So I don't have the same security, but I do own my time. And that's so valuable to me now. And I would never want to give that up if I can avoid it. I'm really creating the life that I never knew that I wanted. And it's awesome. Like, I love the fact that I'm able to help people because I truly do get joy from being able to help other people and especially with 
feeling better. Like I generally want people to be happy. I want people to be at the very best of themselves. And so the fact that I'm able to make a living doing or at least helping to facilitate that and can do it on my own terms, I have such an appreciation for that now. And my final question, what will you do tomorrow that you never thought you could? Write a book, the process of that now. I can't wait to buy a copy. I need a signed copy, man. I can't wait to read it. You absolutely got one copy, guaranteed. Excellent. All right. Charles, how can people learn more about you and the things that you're working on today? Feel free to, again, check the website, uh, audacityfirm.com. Send me an email at info at audacityfirm.com. Also, feel free to check out the TED Talk, What Trauma Taught Me About Resilience on YouTube, and subscribe to my channel there. Also, be on the lookout for my book in 2019. Charles, thank you for taking time out for the Get Up Nation podcast. It's been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show today. I'm humbled to be on. Thank you so much for having me, man. What if no men had to send letters to their children explaining the term incarceration? an explanation for their absence? What if every man was there during formative years because the status quo recognized the immense value and power of present fathers? What if no children had to spend formative moments and years amid overdoses, violence, and the poverty that convinces so many that their lives have little to no value, and instead experience proud and powerful parents are living their finest lives and demonstrating in real time what is possible for people, regardless of category. What happens when we celebrate and honor each life that joins us upon this earth? What happens when we ensure the good we experience in our lives is shared with others? What happens when our systems take the time to understand human beings and what creates their flourishing and then deploys well-funded programs aligned with that reality until there is no end to our growth, unity, redemption, and satisfaction. What would happen when young people of every category look at the American flag shimmering in the wind over fall baseball fields, government buildings, businesses, and residences, experiencing pride in their hearts and minds, knowing they're a member of a nation that truly demonstrates equality and the full unleashing of human growth and potential? What a celebration that would be. What a blazing superpower that would be upon an unfettered earth. And how possible that is right here, right now. It's possible if we reject anything less. And with each of our lives, and with each of our present moments, we create it. It has been an honor to share the voice of Charles Hunt with Get Up Nation. It is an honor to share the voice of a resilient man whose power to endure the agony of those moments has become his ability to lead individuals and organizations through the most troubling of times, to lay hold of brilliance, to lead children through fires of adversity and not just get them through the fire, but help them heal their hurt with the solid ground of kindness and empathy, to replace the echoes of emptiness and absence with a smile that communicates their power and resilience and how purpose can transform their pain. Isn't it powerful how many problems cease when we simply invest in one another in a real way to communicate each person's value? How much exploitation would cease? How much substance abuse would cease 
as people take flight in knowing their limitless value. How many wounds would be healed and how many wounds would never happen if we simply create a reality where each person senses, bears, and shares a sense of their true, limitless, and eternal value. Isn't it powerful to possess, as Charles Hunt has described, the audacity to believe in a world like this? And how even more powerful to create it.